This morning's first reading comes from the book of Psalms, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 14. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works that I know very well. The word of the Lord. morning again, friends. So our gospel reading this morning is from the first chapter of the gospel of Mark, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to him all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door, and he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. In the morning, while it was still very dark, he got up and went out to a deserted place, and there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is searching for you. He answered, let us go on to the neighboring towns so that I may proclaim the message there also, for that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues and casting out demons. The word of the Lord. Ah. I felt my body relax as I settled into my seat on a red-eye flight from Seattle to Boston. It was a bulkhead seat right against the window, so there was plenty of leg room and a place to rest my head. No one was sitting in the center seat, and so I had both of my armrests. Yeah, I was real excited about it. 
And I had put in my headphones, of course, before I had even set foot on the plane, and I had a book in front of me, and I planned to keep my eyes assertively forward, because even though I like people, I am an introvert. And so being held hostage on a plane with a conversation with someone I may or may not like is somewhat of my worst nightmare. But I was prepared, and so with headphones in and book in front of me that I wasn't actually reading, I began to situate myself for the long overnight flight across the country, hoping to fall asleep soon and wake up as the plane touched down hours later on the other coast. Things were looking good. It was going to be a relaxing flight. Suddenly, though, there was a tapping on my shoulder. And so even with my headphones in and my eyes very assertively faced forward, someone was attempting to get my attention from the aisle seat. I was hoping it was an accident, and so I very naturally pretended to fall asleep. But no, he kept tapping, just kept going. And so with a bit of hesitation, I took my headphones out of my ears and I put down my book and I tried to passive aggressively sigh a little bit as good Christians do, just really to make sure that he knew that I was not interested in talking to him. But I prepared myself for the conversation. He looked warm and nice enough and I thought, I can, I can do this. Hello, he said. My name's Jerome, and I'm a salesman, and since we're stuck on this plane together for the next six hours, I thought we might get to know each other better. What do you do? He asked. Well, despite my initial reservation to enter into conversation during the flight, I felt excited. I felt excited for this question because I was a brand new minister. I was 26 years old, fresh out of divinity school, and serving my first church in Seattle, Washington, and I had just been ordained. And I was still in awe of the fact that I was actually doing what I was doing, called by a congregation. And so when Jerome asked me what I did, my pulse quickened and my pride welled up within me and I responded, my name is Jamie Lynn and I'm a minister at a church. Oh, like a children's pastor, asked Jerome. I didn't know what was coming, y'all. No, I replied, I'm an associate pastor. I work with children, but I also work with adults. But they don't let you teach the adults, do they? You don't like preach or teach men, right? Jerome inquired. I was so naive. I told Jerome that I did teach adults and that I regularly preached on Sundays to a congregation that included, yes, both men and women. And then he immediately got out his Bible. Well, you're just wrong, he said. Your church and the people who called you are just wrong. Scripture is very clear, Jamie Lynn. Women cannot be ministers. Oh. <laughs> Jerome proceeded over this six-hour flight to quote every scripture he could think of that seemed to speak against women serving the church, and he flipped furiously through his Bible. 1 Timothy 2.12, I do not permit a woman to teach or have authority over a man. Ephesians 5.22, wives submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord, and his list went on and on and on. And as my 34-year-old self, I would have gotten up and found another seat, but my 26-year-old self just sat there and listened. And so finally he settled on what he called his favorite scripture about women. 
and he opened up his Bible to the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, which is not a typical text to tell women to be quiet, and he focused on verses 30 and 31 of our Gospel reading from today. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told Jesus about her at once. He came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. You see, Jerome said, she began to serve them. This is God and Jesus calling women to serve the men around them and to serve the church through the teaching of other women and children, through preparing food, Jamie Lynn, and helping the men with what they need so that they, the men, can be leaders. She serves the men. I don't mean to offend you, he said ever so sweetly, but God does not want you to be a minister. I was not surprised that Jerome felt this way. There are several Christian traditions that do not believe that women should be pastors. Thankfully, the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, in which I am ordained, and of which 7th Street is a part, they think differently. But in some traditions, women are thought, it's thought that women should cook, and that they should teach children, and that they should submit to their husbands and to the men around them. Clearly, Jerome said in that tone that some people can take when they are sure that they're right, clearly, women cannot be clergy. In this morning's gospel text, the author of the gospel of Mark outlines some of the earliest moments in Jesus's ministry. We are right at the beginning. This is only his second healing miracle. A few of his newly called disciples, Simon and Andrew, well, they tell him that Simon's mother-in-law is sick. And so he goes to their home, and Simon's mother-in-law is lying in bed. And he touches her, and he heals her. And as Jerome pointed out all those years ago on that red-eye flight, she serves them. Now, as many of y'all probably know, the majority of the New Testament was first written in Greek. Our English versions of the scripture are translations of the original Greek text, and so when interpreting scripture, it is often important to return to its original language. Now, I got a C in Greek, everyone, so you're just going to have to bear with me here, but the word translated as serve here in Mark 131 comes from the Greek word diakonu. This word makes many appearances in the New Testament. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness by Satan before his ministry begins and the angels come to take care of him, the angels offer Jesus diakonu, translated in Mark 4.11 as they cared for him. And when Matthew describes Jesus himself in chapter 20, verses 20 and 28, he writes, just as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life for many, Matthew uses the same word to describe the ministry and work of our Savior. When describing deacons in the biblical text, those who do the work of the church, who lead and teach and support and guide, again, this same word appears. In Romans, when speaking about his own ministry, Paul writes, but for now, I am going to Jerusalem in service of the saints. And again, the word used here stems from that Greek word translated as serve in our text this morning. So angels, Jesus, Paul, all of them are described as engaging in this service. A better translation of the word translated as serve here in chapter 1, some biblical scholars say, 
rather than she got up and began to serve them, it might actually be she got up and began to minister to them, to care for them and offering spiritual support. She got up to do the work of the church. Jesus healed Simon's mother-in-law, and she stood up and she ministered. Before anyone else knows that Jesus is the Messiah, before a single one of Jesus' disciples understands who he is, before any other human being gets up and does the work of the church, here in this first chapter of the Gospel of Mark, Simon's mother-in-law stands up and she ministers. And there are many more like her in our text. Martha, whom we meet in the Gospel of John, was one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples. Mary Magdalene is one of the first witnesses to the Gospel, proclaiming, I have seen the Lord. It is women who are with Jesus through the entire crucifixion, and it is women who are the first to see the empty tomb. Tabitha, a widow, meets us in Acts, and we are told that she financially bankrolls a large portion of the early church. In our earliest stories, women are getting things done. They are ministering and they are supporting this newly beginning church that is not yet a church. So like Jerome there on that red-eye flight, we can certainly interpret the text to communicate that women cannot be pastors. But it is an equally valid, academically respectable, equally faithful interpretation to look at that original Greek and look at the women of the New Testament and to affirm with a resounding yes their ministry and their qualifications to serve as pastors and professors and ministers and clergy. On the day of my ordination to the ministry on July 25th, 2011, I got down on my knees. How many of y'all have been to an ordination service? It's beautiful. And I got down on my knees and the weight of our conference minister's hands came down on my shoulders. And then I felt the weight of all the other ordained clergy as they placed their hands on my head and neck and shoulders and back, and then the elders, and then the board, and then the members of University Christian Church came forward, and they too laid hands on me. And finally, the entire congregation joined me there on my knees at the front of that sanctuary in the middle of my ordination service, and they said, yes. Yes, Jamie Lynn, we affirm you. We see you and we acknowledge your call. And much like this moment in my ordination, this morning in our text, Jesus' call to Simon's mother-in-law does not happen in a vacuum or in isolation. It happens in community. She is in the house there in front of some of Jesus' disciples in the earliest days of his ministry. And in front of all of those people, Jesus says yes. It may be tempting for us, 7th Street Christian Church, to feel pretty smug right now and to lean back in our pews here today and say, we've got this. There's a lady in heels preaching right now, and Holly preaches every Sunday, and so this is kind of old news, and why are you preaching to the choir, Jamie? It is tempting to say that, but unfortunately this message remains incredibly relevant in our world today. Only 24 of the CEOs of all the Fortune 500 companies are women. In the state of Virginia, women are paid 78 cents for every dollar a man makes. 
And in 2010, a multi-faith sample of 11,000 American congregations found that only 12% of all congregations in the United States had a female as their sole or senior ordained leader. 12%. These facts are startling, and unfortunately, the news is the same. The confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh, the stories that continue to pour out from survivors of sexual assault in the church, even in our churches every day. Me too, me too, me too, me too. So unfortunately, this is not old news, 7th Street. Supporting women in leadership is real, and it is an active charge and challenge for us each and every day, now as much as it ever has been. And so the question before us this morning is how will we continue? How will we continue to support women who serve and lead and preach and teach just as Jesus did here in the Gospel of Mark? How will we stand with those who say me too? How will we, as a radical act of our faith and our beliefs, respond to any person, whether it's Jerome on a red-eye flight or to the head of denominations across our world? who seeks to demean women or deny their power, value, and fierce worth? How will we say to the women in our midst every day and in every service, yes, yes, you are called and we will support you? May we be bold. May we be faithful. May we follow Jesus. May we say yes. Amen.